Hey there, it's Phil Harwood. Just want to take a quick minute before we begin today's podcast episode and talk to you about our live and in-person events. We had three events scheduled for 2021. We've already had two of them. Our Inner Circle, sponsored by VentTrack event, was very well attended and was a great event. And uh, just recently, we had our Forum for Sales event, sponsored by SnowX, sold out. Uh, We had a great event there as well. We have one more event coming up. It's called Grounds in Institutional Management. It's really focused on site um, issues, operations, engineering, equipment, everything having to do with with running a snow event and planning for events. This is going to be September 8th and 9th at Milton Cat in Milford, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. So we hope to see you there. Registration is open right now at snowfightersinstitute.com. Welcome to the Snowfighters Institute podcast where we hear directly from some of the most interesting people in the professional snow and ice management industry, to learn about their successes, to hear about the challenges they faced along the way, and to have their perspective on critical issues facing our industry today. I'm your host, Phil Harwood. Before I introduce today's special guest, I'd like to invite you to follow our social media feeds And check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. All right, everyone. Well, please join me in welcoming my special guest today, all the way from the great state of Utah, Seth Bowen. Seth is the president of Three Men in a Shovel Landscaping and has been expanding his footprint in snow and ice management uh, Seth, very pleased to have you here. I've really enjoyed working with you um, on the Sima Peer Group over the last few years. You've been a major contributor to that group, and I'm really excited to have this conversation today. So welcome, Seth. Thanks, Phil. I'm glad to be here. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, so some of our listeners um, don't know how much snow we get, you get, not we, but you get in Utah. And, you know, when I think of Utah here sitting in Michigan, I think it's like three to 400 inches, but I know that's not the case. So <laughs> tell me what winter looks like for you in, in your neck of the woods and where, where specifically are you in Utah? Yeah, so we're in a little town called Logan. It's a college town, state universities here, Utah State University Aggies. We're about an hour, hour and 15 minutes north of Salt Lake City. Uh, our snow market, we typically get right around 53 inches of snow a year and uh, we don't we don't benefit from the lake effect that Salt Lake City sees, but we have we're we're about five degrees to ten degrees colder on any given day than Salt Lake City because we're nestled up here in this little uh, high altitude mountain town. We sit about forty three hundred feet in elevation. Okay. And so yeah, we we see about fifty three inches a year. And what does that equate to in terms of you know pushes and de-icings um, in a normal year? Yeah, uh, depending on the the thresholds or the expectations of the customer, we're usually 12 pushes a year and somewhere around 18 to 20 salt events and or sidewalk service only events. Okay. All right. 
And you have an unusual name for your company. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, in college, there were three original idiots that worked together. And uh, we had probably no business doing what we were doing. But uh, we were formerly Paradigm Landscaping. And I didn't think that was descriptive or creative enough. And so we were contemplating a rebrand. And uh, all three of us were at lunch one day. And uh, we'd been working on a landscape install. And uh, we were driving back from lunch or to lunch, I can't remember which, but uh, the subject of what we were gonna name ourselves came up and we actually drove past some city workers. They were, they had a hole marked off of some cones in the road where there was one guy down in the hole digging and then uh, two guys standing there watching him. And so <laughs> my partner said to me, what about three men and a shovel? And he was kind of just kidding. And I was like, yeah, it's got, it's got a ring to it, but yeah. that's kind of where it was born and it stuck. and. We've, we've grown beyond that, but uh, that was, that's where we started from was three original guys. Uh, I'll, I'll say three original dirt bags that were going <laughs> to school, making good money, uh, doing landscape on the side. And uh, then I decided to take it more serious and try to keep on with the business after college. Yeah. Okay. So, so walk us through that a little bit. You were, you were with these guys, you were doing this in college. Was this like a serious endeavor? It doesn't sound real serious. Um, no. but you, you turned it into something serious. So was it just spending money? Did you actually have an entity like a, a, you know, business entity? Did you have any employees or was it just the three of you or what'd that look like? Yeah. So we were, I'll say free form. We, okay. uh, we didn't have, we didn't, we were so, uh, ignorant that we didn't even know we needed a business license. So we were all 19, 20, 21 years old and, uh, we were just, we were interested in wakeboarding in the evenings. And so uh, we, we happened to come together. We actually all worked for the same company at, uh, at the same time. And that's kind of how we got to know each other. We were all crew leaders oh, and then that, that particular company stopped doing landscaping. So we just kind of picked up the shovel and ran with it, so to speak. So it really was just a, a matter of convenience. We were all uh, we had run landscape crews for this this company and then decided that if they weren't going to do it we we could and so we uh we kept at it it was good money for us because we weren't paying taxes we weren't paying insurance we had no idea what we were doing sure. honestly and uh <laughs> just kind of scabbed it together but our thing was we took care of people and we did what we said we were going to do. And that's kind of how it stuck. That's how we were able to get traction was just showing up for appointments and apologizing when we made mistakes and making it right. You know? So yeah. Yeah. What were you studying at the time? Uh, I was going into finance. Uh, another partner was in political science and then the third partner was in pre-med. Okay. And they all act, they all ended up doing, what they went to school for. I'm the only one who didn't. I, I was in finance. I was supposed to be a banker, day trader or something, but uh, this is what stuck for me. Did you end up finishing your degree? Uh, I think I ended up uh, two or three credits shy of, a, of actually a bachelor's degree. And I had a, a minor in accounting as well. Okay. But did never, did never uh, so, uh, apply for graduation, I guess. Yeah, I understand. So, yeah. so the, then how did that transition into a, a real company? Yeah, so we all started getting married, trying to get serious about life. And, you know, kids started coming and bills started coming. And I was still in school when we 
when we formalized three men and a shovel and then those guys started graduating they moved away and kind of left the day-to-day operations to me i was in school for an additional two or three years after they left uh trying to finish up my my business degree and didn't spend much time in class was mostly out in the hallway on my phone uh talking to guys and stuff like that yeah and then they, they, so they basically got involved in some other things and, and then you just, you were left running this company. Yeah. just kind of absorbed. I mean, it, there were no assets to speak of. It wasn't, it really was just, we had work to do, but we hadn't really made any capital investments in the company. So there, there was a little momentum there, which I capitalized on, but that, that was really all that there was from an entity perspective. Yeah. So I'm always curious about those early days. Were you um, like running out of a yard somewhere, out of a storage unit, out of your house? Yeah, it was, it was all out of our house, little home office. Um, And we ran that way for, for a long time. Uh, You know, I did, I didn't see a need for some of that overhead, but my wife certainly did. Um, She, (laughs) she was interested in getting the office out of the house. And I would, I would have, we've always had consistent meetings I thought that was something important early on was to get everybody on the same page and moving in the same direction. And so the, a lot of those meetings happened at our house and landscape guys are not always the, the cleanest. So <laughs> I, I know that Sure. my wife was always really anxious for me to, to get a space and move on. But I, I delayed that for quite a while. Yeah. The, um, you know, must remove boots at the door routine, you know, yeah. uh, it's pretty tough to enforce. Yeah, absolutely. understand. Um, so how long ago is that? So we formalized three men and a shovel in 2001. That's kind of when everything kind of came together and uh, got a business license and got insurance and formalized my contractor's license and all those mm-hmm. things that uh, I sort of, what first of all was ignorant about and then just we, we purposely chose not to, not to do anything because it wasn't being enforced. But it, that's really where it added, I think that added legitimacy to, to the business in my own mind, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. So has the business grown kind of uh, uh, um, incrementally over that time period, or have you had some big jumps in terms of revenue and kind of scaling up with employees and things? Um, I, I'm fairly consistent growth. Um, we, even, we even grew in the 2000 eight time period when the recession hit, uh, we were able to continue growing through those few years where things were pretty lean. I think that's a function of having a a solid team and having a good game plan in place. But I also think it, we were helped by the fact that our little market here is somewhat insulated. We don't have the really uh, meteoric increases in the market. We also don't have those, those plummets that happen from those really hot markets like Phoenix, Vegas, Southern California, places like that. Mm -hmm. What did you do um, along the way to become educated and aware of things? You, you know, you said in the beginning, we kind of, we, we just didn't know about a whole lot of things. How how did you learn all these things? Yeah. So I've, I've always been that guy that wasn't afraid to try something or to make a commitment and then go to work, figuring out how to do it. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty comfortable in that space. And that's, that's really what we did as far as 
plants. Like prior to starting the landscape business, I worked up in the mountains as a, as a guy doing river trips and uh, backcountry climbing trips, things like that. And I, I spent a lot of time with my nose in a, a botany book, specifically looking at wildflowers and those sorts of things. And so okay. I had a personal kind of a passion for plants. And that was really what kind of my first role was of the three partners was uh, when it was time to do the plant stuff. I was the guy that did the layout and um, helped oversee the installation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was that was kind of uh, that was my intro to the landscape world specifically. OK, but what about all the business stuff, all the, you know, just how to run a business and strategy and leadership and, you know, all that kind of stuff? Because you're 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 fairly well versed in some of those subjects right now. Yeah, I, I think it just comes from like a core passion for learning, and I, I consume business books uh, like crazy. I consume every industry publication. I I instantly I went out and subscribed to, so I'd be getting all the the webinars and all those things. And over the years, we've we've paid. Uh, Right now, for example, I, I feel I'm pretty strong in financial matters, but I feel like my team is and one of our kind of core initiatives for 2021 as a team is to get my team more financially literate. Mm, we, nice. we phrase that as numbers focused, numbers literate. Mm-hmm. And that's one of our paths to progress is making sure that I'm not the only one that can break down a PL or balance sheet and understand whether it's positive or negative and whether we're moving in the right direction. So I think that's a core commitment for me personally is to always be learning and consuming something that's going to move me further ahead. And that's really, uh, I, w- I went to business school, but they don't teach you small business by right. any means. I think you learn financial principles and how numbers and money work, but then trying to extrapolate that and apply that to small business is a whole different thing. And I, I know that there are some programs out there that are starting, uh, including Utah State here, they have an entrepreneur program here now that helps people understand how to start and scale businesses. But that didn't really exist back then. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, and I to- totally uh, resonate. Everything you said just resonates with me because I'm the same way. Just like sitting right next to me as I'm talking to you, there's like five books piled up because I'm <laughs> plowing through something and working on some Grow the Bench material. But yeah, just just all you need all those input sources. and then And then it's a question of, you know, how much time and energy do I have to absorb all this? And, and what do I do with it? How do yeah. I plug it in? But, um, you know, and I, and I'm, uh, you know, that's, that's why I met you because you're, you got involved in industry associations and peer groups and, you know, that's the, the path you're on, right. To learn, get better. Uh, what am I missing? All that. So yeah. tell us a little bit about the state of the company right now in terms of like your service mix or customer mix. Um, you know, if you want to talk a little bit about um, when it comes to snow, are you working with service partners or self-performing or kind of a combination? And uh, obviously, you know, not not sharing anything proprietary, but any, anything you want to share in those spaces? Yeah, so I think um, our we're still in growth phase. Um, I think I, I turned 45 this month. And so uh, as you age, you're um, risk tolerance and your aggressiveness decreases naturally. And for me, I, I think I, I want to grow to make an exit at some point in time where I can still enjoy my life. And so I think we're in, we're in growth mode. 
uh, we're, we're toying with the idea of growth through acquisition versus just aggressive sales strategy in new markets. But uh, two years ago, we, we signed contracts in the first, you know, uh, major metros outside of our own. And uh, that was sort of a, we knew we needed to do it to kind of get our feet wet and see what it was all about, get the kinks worked out before we went into the, the real markets that we really wanted to be in. And so uh, we're, we've got two years in on uh, operating some of these other markets without necessarily representation there, meaning I don't have satellite offices or facilities there. I don't have guys that are stationed there. Um, and, and specifically, these, these efforts we're making are towards the snow and ice management side of things. So um, we're, we're currently in markets that are about an hour's drive away from us on a summer day, so probably an hour and a half in the winter on difficult roads. Mm -hmm. And that's all, all that is being performed by a group of trade partners that uh, we, we select and train and set expectations with. And uh, this was our first year having that serviced entirely by that group of trade partners. And it went really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. It seems like you're into the snow and ice management, like you're, 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 um, it seems like an area of passion, but is that because you, you just love, you know, snow or, or do you just see it as a good vehicle for your business, you know, your business model? Um, yeah, I, I think, I think I'm unique in that I can find, I can derive fulfillment and passion from kind of my core personal values to learn and to grow. And I, while I'm personally passionate, I love plants, and that's a big part of, of what I love. We acquired a garden center in 2014 as part of our kind of growth uh, on the landscape side. But as I've gotten more into the snow and ice management side of things, I see, a I, I would say, an easier path to progress for our organization and our culture and kind of our unique traits. And so we found ways to find passion. I, I, don't, I don't feel overly excited when I've plowed a parking lot or, or when I drive through and see something finished. Mm -hmm. But I, have, I do derive passion from uh, helping our clients manage their risk and liability and helping their tenants or their employees or patrons uh, be safe. Th those are things that I personally can get on board with. Right. And... I think, I think for me, I have to find what those things within whatever it is that I'm doing at the time, I have to find the thing that makes me happy. Yeah. Well, that's so, the ultimate result of, of plowing the parking lot, right. Is, is providing yeah. that secure, safe. So that's the deeper purpose. And yeah, it's hard to have that in the forefront when you're out working or, you know, even driving around looking at things in the middle of the night when you could be home with your wife in bed. Yeah. But, um, you know, yeah. It, I mean, that's what inspires a lot of us in the industry is just that kind of a service orientation, um, you know, just providing something really valuable for our clients and um, doing it well and consistently. Um, you mentioned a garden center, so that's interesting. Not, not everyone owns a garden center. Um, tell us a little bit about that side of the business. Yeah, uh, you know, this kind of goes back to my business education and a term that they taught us about vertical integration. And so when I was trying to convince my wife to make this real estate acquisition and uh, this nursery that came with it, it was a big stretch for us financially and emotionally. Um, it was scary. And um, I knew we could do it. I have, you know, I've always believed in investing in myself. I think that's why I'm so interested in the education is 
I know that I'm my own best asset and will provide the best return on investment. So I always felt like if I invested in myself and th this nursery was an investment in me and kind of my belief that I could do it. It did dovetail nicely with my passion for plants. Um, I learned a lot and uh, I, if I did it again, I would definitely do it very differently, but I learned a ton from doing it and continue to learn every day. Um, that happened in 2014. And so we were, we were in our 13th year of business. And um, again, I had really no idea what I was getting into, but I, I will say, uh, again, I think this speaks to kind of my personality and probably some of the, the guys that'll be listening to this podcast, but um, I, I spent eight years going to trade shows and conferences specific to the nursery industry prior to having that opportunity to buy that garden center. Wow. So I had made a significant time and money investment already leading up to that. And I know a lot of guys are, they have a mentality that they can do it and they do it without that education and they figure out a way to do it. I just, I'm more deliberate than that. And I, I knew that I loved plants and I wanted to learn. And I, really at the time that I attended those conferences and participated in that education, it was to make me a better landscape contractor, mm -hmm. but I probably should have known that at some point I would own a garden center because the plants are something that's personally fulfilling for me. Yeah, sure. Uh, so is this a retail garden center selling yep, to the small public? retail garden center? Okay. Uh, we, we do, uh, do about $1.5 million a year in annual sales. Uh, so it's not, it's not a teeny garden center as far as independent garden centers are classified, but it's uh, definitely not one of the large, mm -hmm. large, uh, organizations. And so how does that fit into the overall business model then? So it's a separate legal entity, uh, but, and really the, the concept of vertical integration, we have not leveraged that. Uh, we don't sell jobs for our landscape company really through there to speak of. It's not like a prominent part of our business model there. Um, initially, it was really a real estate play that had a garden center on it already. So it was kind of like a win-win for me. Our, our landscape company does use some of the vacant space on the, the five-acre parcel for kind of our staging area in our yard now. And it has provided, I'll say, some efficiencies when we have small one-off jobs or, you know, a customer adds something when we're partway through a job. I, ha I do have a standing source of plant material that I can, I can fulfill from. So that, that makes the change orders easier and more efficient. I don't have to come, you know, leave the job come back later to finish those small change orders I can usually fulfill from what we have in the yard. Right. Right. But, um, I, I think as far as overall on the three men and a shovel business side, it, it doesn't, it's not a huge part of the, that business model. Um, it re we really treated it as an entirely separate entity and separate team with separate systems and processes, et cetera. Okay. Cool. No, it's just inter interesting. And, and, uh, you know, I guess there's some nice, probably diversification benefits financially from that. Um, and, sure. and, and an area of passion for you, but we better get back to snow or we're going to lose half our listeners here who, who yeah, do don't want to hear about a garden center. <laughs> so let's talk snow. Um, let's talk about equipment. Let's talk about technology. Um, what are you, what are you doing in those areas? What are you excited to talk about? Um, you know, everyone loves to hear about that. So yeah, love yeah, to hear what uh, you have to say. 
I, I will say that uh, that continues to be an area of focus for us uh, to, to improve our efficiencies and to become more technologically literate. Um, I think our industry in general, both on the green and the white sides, I think we're behind the curve from a lot of other industries. And I, so I think that there's opportunity for your listeners to really um, scale quickly and, and gain market share quickly by being more rapid adopters of, of technology. And I, I uh, since, just since I joined the peer group uh, with you back in the day, um, a lot of the things that we had been talking about or hoping that were out there have gotten a lot of development and that technology that exists sure. in other industries is now being trickled down to us. Uh, and so we're able to manage things more remotely. So we, we deployed cameras on uh, remote snow sites. Uh, we deployed our first camera four years ago. And uh, this year we deployed a whole host more cameras um, so that we can monitor activate our, our teams, uh, proof of uh, proof of service, th those sorts of things all came as a benefit of, of deploying cameras. Um, this year we also put uh, full GPS on all of our assets. So that gave us better granularity as well. And we uh, this year we deployed a new operating system uh, Specific, I know everybody likes to hear what people are using. We, we specifically deployed Aspire software mm -hmm. for our operational system for our entire uh, company. Got it. Okay, cool. I'm interested in those cameras. So how does that work? Is it, is it a video thing? Like how do you, where does the recording go? Or is it just snapping pictures every 15 minutes? Or how does that work? Well, we've actually got three different technologies deployed right now, kind of testing what gives okay. us the best uh, service and what gives us the, the best um, results. Uh, we have one setup of uh, cameras that are basically still motion photos. They take every 15 minutes and that's all data logged. We actually have deployed ground temperature sensors mm -hmm. with that, that group of cameras so that we can monitor ground temps in real time and keep again trends, uh, other, whether up or down. Uh, with actual ground temperatures and we use that to influence or inform our salt application rates or de-icer application rates so oh, that's cool um, yeah and all of our salt trucks this year we tested this the last two years but all of our salt trucks this year have uh, rapid ground temperature sensing using infrared technology so we we actually mounted uh fixed IR sensors that that real-time monitor what's going on with ground temperatures mm -hmm. so my my operators in those uh, salt trucks they can they can they have an, what we call an action matrix where they can they can basically uh, look at the matrix and say here's what's going on with the temperatures we know that the temperatures are going to go up on the ground and so we're applying our de-icing products based off of those Thre uh, different thresholds for different uh, temperature ground temperatures so yeah the action matrix was a really cool concept when it, when you first showed it to us it, it's really yeah. a decision making um tool right so someone yeah. can just quickly say here's what i need to do <laughs> even well, if they don't have the education or the experience they have a they have a they have something that's going to guide them right yeah and this was born out of a technology gap i mean i i as a business owner you know, when you have employees, you have frustration. Uh, employees mean headaches. And they also mean 
a lot of wins and a lot of triumphs, but there's a lot of challenges that come with having humans making decisions. And so because the technology that municipalities and uh, state de road departments use was not available to us financially, uh, was at a threshold that we couldn't stomach, you know, $50,000 for a system for a, for a, a one ton or a one and a half ton salt truck. We just couldn't stomach that kind of, of a hit for the salter and the technology that, that does that automatically, that automatically changes salt application rates based on your speed and right. all those things. So we knew that we had to find ways where we could create a, a strict standard that would be easy to follow because at three in the morning, who, which one of us is going to make the right decision every time? Mm -hmm. uh, just is not it's not not right. the right environment to be really efficient at what you're doing and and I didn't want guys having to pay attention to one more thing so we tried to we we set some parameters and tried to to make it more automated for them so. yeah no really cool and and to your point earlier you know I I do I agree with you so I think we're behind the curve compared to other industries but I see a lot of very quick technology adoption happening it's pretty exciting there's um, some really low-hanging and really what i believe to be cost positive uh opportunities for guys to to adopt very simple things and, uh, and a good example of that was when we first started paying attention to ground temperatures rather than just whatever the weather service said the air temperature was mm -hmm. ice forms at the ground level that's where all slip and falls happen they don't happen up in the air so we started monitoring with just handheld the brand was fluke they're they used by electrical contractors a lot and it was just a point and shoot infrared mm -hmm. handheld i think 150 bucks or yeah less. i used to carry one around in my truck back yeah. 15 years ago yeah that's how we started monitoring that and then we we found a new technology at the sima show actually uh that allowed us to be able to mount it to our trucks and have a dashboard readout that told us real time what what the ground temps were it's amazing so. how different the ground temps are from the air temp. Yeah, yeah. And knowing what direction they're heading. Yeah. For sure. It's huge. What about equipment? Um, plowing, de-icing, sidewalks, anything you're super excited to talk about? Uh, yeah. So last year uh, we deployed, or two years ago, we deployed some ProTech Fusion boxes. Uh, we historically had used a traditional rubber edge box a number of years ago we switched to uhmw cutting edges um, and that was a game changer at the time and now we've gotten into these fusion boxes which which use a laminated uh, steel cutting edge within a uhmw uh, framework i guess and then have an adjustable shoe and that's been a game changer for us from like a residual maintenance uh you know changing shoes adjusting edges now with those basically we just we adjust the shoes and when the edge wears down you just pull a pin on the shoes and adjust them down and that's that's reduced our, our cost of maintenance and the actual labor invested in maintaining edges and shoes and stuff like that so and we're getting a we're getting a better cut on icy conditions i think as we expand into some other markets i could i can foresee us going to more of like the hla uh you know, hydraulic wing plows, things like that. Um, there's yeah. some cool, some cool stuff out there, but we're still, we're still having to figure out how to capitalize that, that increase in cost for those, those sorts of boxes. Yeah. 
What about sidewalk equipment? It seems like more and more people are adopting equipment for sidewalks versus, you know, just like hundreds of people on shovels. Yeah, I mean, we're, we have shovels on the trucks, but we have basically strict guides not to use them. <laughs> so okay. our first foray was four wheelers into the uh, first foray into the sidewalk market was four wheelers. We have, we still have a few that are outfitted with uh, hydraulic plow uh, and they also have drop spreaders on the back of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we went to uh, the Ventrac side of things and we have a, a handful of SSVs, which we've really liked, been a high quality product. And we've also adopted the Boss Snow Raiders. Yep. And those are, those are pretty ubiquitous at this point, but both have been absolute game changers for us to leverage uh, our, our people and make sure that they have a, just a better experience when they're out. I mean, there's nothing you can do about the fact that it's the cold and snowy and slippery conditions that you, we can't change that, but we figured as soon as that stuff was available, we were trying to get it into our operating system. And it's, it's made a huge difference in how we operate and our, our how our guys feel about their jobs. And yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Oh, and I, I think just return on investment. from what I'm seeing in the industry, uh, most large um, companies in the snow and ice management world are, are really utilizing a whole suite of products for sidewalks and, and for other applications as well. But I think specifically with sidewalks, I see very few companies committed to like one machine. Usually have a lot of different things because you need to match it up to the right properties. And yeah. they all have pros and cons. So um, no, that's cool. What I about liquids? That, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I would say that that is actually one of our kind of, strategies though because there's so many snow contractors out there that want to push your parking lots but they got no interest in doing your sidewalks and that's a high liability area so if you're really trying to solve a problem for your customer you know slipping and sliding in the parking lot in your car it's not it's not ideal but that's not where the really expensive problems right. happen it's when that person slips and falls and now you've got a lawsuit you've got lost days lost productivity um, you know, all the medical bills, everything that's associated with a slip and fall, whether it's a customer or, uh, an employee, uh, it's, it's expensive mm -hmm. and they'll blow an entire year's worth of budget for exterior services on a singular slip and fall. Yeah. And so for us, we, we said, Hey, we, we didn't know that at first, but it, it actually came up in, in a sales pitch for one of uh, a potential client that we had been targeting for a number of years. Uh, it was their industrial safety guy who was actually in the pitch meeting and I didn't know who he was. And he didn't say a word until I had made my presentation and, you know, he had been, he'd actually been sitting on a laptop typing the entire time. I thought he was somebody from legal. Okay. He was like documenting everything I said. So I was getting kind of nervous. Like, can I get a transcript? Who is this guy? Or, yeah. Well, but anyway, uh, I made the pitch and the guy that I was pitching was a facilities operations manager. And when I gave him the final number, kind of at the end of the pitch, he's like, I don't think there's going to be any sort of a taste at our management uh, level for this kind of a number. I was like, okay, well, let's, you know, I started to launch into damage control. Like, let's talk about scope, reducing scope of work or, you know, make sure that I, I understood exactly what you needed. And this, this quiet guy behind the laptop slowly raises his hand and says, well, actually, uh, I was just doing the numbers here. Last year, we spent $120,000 uh, and this is a place that doesn't have customers that come to them. This is just an industrial manufacturing oh, wow. facility. And he said, we spent $120,000 on lot on 
lost uh, on workers' comp because of two lip, slip and fall uh, situations with their employees. And that didn't include the lost productivity, all, all the other ancillary things that are attached to when sure. an employee goes oh, down and is out of work for six months. Yeah, bring that guy around with you to all your sales meetings. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to hug him afterwards because we, we signed the contract and it, it was like, this is, this is a pittance compared to what we spent last year. And uh, that, that created a, a, a light bulb moment for me and a mind shift because I was able to get inside of that industrial safety guy's head and now I'm inside of every single industrial safety guy's head because mm -hmm. I know what their pain point is. And that's mm -hmm. where I was saying sidewalks are such a huge part of that, but they're a huge headache for us as a contractor too. And we have to find guys to be out in the weather to do it. And that's hard for us. Yeah. And that, that sidewalk equipment, uh, it makes it a little bit more palatable at the end of the day. Yeah. No, I, it, it's, I mean, it's so true. And, uh, you know, I, I, run into a lot of people in our industry who just say, Oh, you know, I'll take the property if it doesn't have sidewalks. And I, you know, if it has a bunch of sidewalks, I'm not interested. And I think, you know, that's probably not the right mentality because there's so much pain there, right? If you can yeah. figure out how to do the sidewalks, you're going to be a hero in this industry. Yeah. You know, and really embrace it. Yeah. Are you Absolutely. doing any liquids on sidewalks? Yeah. So that's a, that was a big decision for us to go into both the SSV and the snow Raiders was because they had brine capabilities. So we're doing currently doing pre-treatments on all pedestrian areas and uh, using them as a part of our post-treatment. It's not, not our first choice for post-treatment, but we're, we're finding more and more that if we do a little bit of granular and a little bit of liquid post-treatment in high traffic areas, we're just getting better results mm -hmm. yeah. and more immediate results, which is what everybody wants is black wet pavement. Right. And then what about just liquids on parking lots? Have you really made an investment in that area? And are you doing pre-treats or are you just using it in your normal process for post? Um, we, we invested in that about four years ago. We, what I find is that we typically invest in stuff before we're really ready to roll it out. We know it's the right thing, but mm -hmm. it takes a while to get up and sure. running with it. Right. Uh, and that, that was a result of a visit to Sima in 2006 they were talking a lot about it and we it's not something our market really was dealing with even our dot was not doing liquids at that time and so uh, we started the process and yeah we're, we're using uh, truck mounted sprayers now for liquid pre-treatments we're not doing any post treatment in parking lots with liquid it's all still granular mm -hmm. okay. i think yeah. until we can get to a critical mass as a as a organization uh we'll we'll need we'll, we'll make a switch when we can we can afford to start making our own brine yep uh we'll we'll start doing that as a bigger part of post treatments yeah okay i mean it makes sense um yeah. so we're coming off a pandemic year and um so i'm just curious if there were any changes that your company had to make um you know, some of the pivots that that we all had to deal with in our businesses um, that might just maybe were even positive, but but might remain in place, you know, long term in your business. Just kind of curious about that. I think the biggest benefit for us from COVID has been just the change in mentality. Um, I don't on our landscape and on our snow and ice management uh, divisions. I don't, we didn't see a lot of necessary changes, but I saw huge changes in our mentality as a, as an operating team. 
we're we're better able because of Zoom and some of those sorts of things. We're better able to work independently and remotely. And a big a big goal for me personally is to spend more time fly fishing. I've told you that up on a number of occasions. And I love that. Uh, you know, for for me, work is a means to an end to get out into the world and fish with my kids. And um, so I think COVID forced us and forced some of my people specifically to take initiative in areas that they previously would not have. And I, I really think I'm the one that probably had limited them. Um, things that I kind of held to held close to the chest, so to speak, and didn't allow them to do or learn or be a part of, they've had to be a part of and had to figure out. And so it sort of forced me to force them to stand on their own, take off the training wheels, so to speak. And that's, I think that's been the, the most positive effect that I've seen. Um, and Good. We, I will say that we've, we've tried to leverage sort of the COVID mentality that uh, is pervasive among all industries now to, to try to be a better uh, hands-off partner, meaning if you partner with us to take care of your landscape or to take care of your snow and ice management, you don't have to touch it. You don't have to come in. You don't have to be involved. So it's sort of contactless business, so to speak. They can just know that they've got a partner who's there to, to help them and get them what they want with, with less and less involvement from them. And that definitely suits with COVID for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's always been the the dream of a property manager, right? To have contractors they never have to talk to. Just, just take care of it and stay ahead of the curve. Be proactive. Just tell me what you're doing. Keep me informed. Yeah. I'll just take care of your stuff. And, and especially with snow, right? I mean, that's so I just think there's a lot of really um, good lessons to learn from, you know, it was a tough year for a lot of people, of course. Um, and I can't even imagine, you know, what you went through with, with your, your five kids. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Um, so I want to hear about that. So I know it wasn't an easy uh, last 12 months for a lot of people, but, but there are some good things that happened and some good takeaways. And I'm, I'm, I'm always a optimistic person, glasses half full. So I'm always looking for the silver lining of things. Uh, so thanks for that. Um, yeah. So I do want to hear about your family. So tell us about, tell us about your family. You're married, you have, you have five children. What, what age range? Yeah. So I've got five kids ages uh, five to 18 as my oldest. And they love to, most of them love to fish with me. Not all of them, but uh, this year we, this last year we bought a drift boat and spent several weekends out on area rivers. And uh, my kids all learn traditional western fly fishing the traditional like what you see in the movies and then they've also learned what's called tenkara fishing uh, which is a japanese form of fly fishing and uh, just like everything i do i get deep into the details so i i get uh, i get i get into the specific i have no idea what you're talking about right now but keep going. yeah yeah it's all good but it's, it was covid was really really good for our family in a lot of ways we we did church at home um, worship together at home in a, in a different way, which was, was quite uh, earth shattering for us and, and was good for our family. And we were able to have spiritual discussions that I don't think we otherwise would have. So that, that was a big silver lining for our, uh, in my personal life with, with my wife and kids. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, that's cool. Um, what about just work, work, personal balance, kind of that work-life balance mix? Has that, has that been uh, something you've had to 
kind of work on or, or deal with over the years? Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, it's probably my biggest weakness is just, I'm either a workaholic or I don't want to be at work at all. I'm, 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 I'm OCD actually diagnosed the OCD. So um, I'm not into like washing my hands 500 times a day type OCD, but I obsess over details and small things. And so when I'm at work, I'm really at work and it's, it's hard to hang the hat at the door, so to speak, when I come home. And I'd say within the last three, four years, I've gotten much better uh, at that. And it, it's been a deliberate, conscientious effort. And I'll say uh, attention and uh, prompting from my wife. Uh, she's been super patient with me. She's, she's just the perfect fit for me. And I, I'm super blessed to have somebody who's willing to kind of help me be a better version of myself every year but it, it finally sort of clicked I think about three four years ago and I started uh, just a, a better overall balance and it, it's better for everyone who has to deal with me to to have balanced Seth rather than intense business Seth or Seth checked that. out of business yeah. and doesn't want anything to do with it yeah for sure yeah no, that's cool thanks yeah. Um, so you mentioned, uh, you like to read uh, and you plow through a bunch of books. What's, what's the one book on your bookshelf that you would say is a must read for our listeners? Uh, that's a hard one. Um, I think the one that's been the most influential recently was traction from Gina Wickman. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I know that's high up on your list as well. Mm -hmm. Um, E-Myth was, was transformational for us a decade and a half ago. Um, but uh, yeah, right now, traction is kind of top of, top of mind, and it's something we're trying to implement. We, we're working with the Growth Institute to scale our business and going through some of their trainings right now, and that's been uh, that, that EOS concept is, um, mm -hmm. it, it's found it really a good, good fit with our organization. It, it, it's, it's, it's easy to understand. It takes a lot of work, but it's, it actually works. Yeah. yeah. And we're in that, we're in the middle of that work right now. So it's, mm -hmm. it's hard. Sometimes you feel like you're spinning your wheels a little bit, but that's what you have to do to eventually mm -hmm. get traction. Yeah. So I say, you know, the success in business isn't about the peripheral shiny stuff. It's about the, it's about the fundamentals and doing them well. And, and most people don't have the stomach to do the fundamentals well. And, and EOS to me is all fundamentals. Yeah. I love it. And, and doing, doing those consistently over right. time, even if you're not very good at the fundamentals, just doing them, trying to yeah. do them and Staying doing committed. them consistent effort over time. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's where people lose it because they're always going off to a conference and trying to chase the next cool thing. Yeah. It looks um, a lot like work is the problem. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have there been any like big challenges or big struggles that you've, you've hit um that were like really kind of defining moments for you over the last 10 or 20 years since you've been in business yeah i think uh about eight years ago uh i, I really i really came to a realization that for my personality type uh and for what i wanted out of life um, employees were, were just a difficult part of it. And I, I know because I, I pay attention and have so many friends in all industries across the country, I, I know that employees are a struggle for everyone and will continue to be the same or if not worse, uh, than, 
than they've been in the past. And so there was a point where I just was like, I got, I'm so sick of beating my head against a concrete wall and setting expectations and then having people who didn't want to fulfill those expectations. So I think that's kind of where I started the journey towards a part of our business that was more automated, uh, could be serviced by a group of trade partners. And that's, I think, really what led us into pursuing more intently the snow and ice management world. It just was a, a makes a, sense. I said easier path to progress earlier, and that's really what I mean. I didn't have to rely on employees, and I've I have great employees now. I've had great employees in the past, and that that wasn't the problem. It was just we're all human, and I wanted to remove as much of the human element as I could. Um, and I love. I'm very proud that we've always been able to have work for our guys to do. We've always been able to keep them busy. We've never missed a pay payroll we've never been late for a payroll in in all of our 20 years and i feel that's a major accomplishment a simple accomplishment but a major accomplishment for us and so i i think that shift in mentality about eight years ago to really work towards uh, a business that could i could focus on having a few singular rock stars on the team mm -hmm. and outsource the rest yeah, it totally makes sense, you know, especially when you think about demographics and just what's happening with our society and the, the value that, um, you know, unfortunately gets placed on the trades and trade schools and working with your hands and doing the things that, you know, are required to have a business like yours uh, or mine, right? Yeah. So, you know, you're fighting an uphill battle with that and, you know, the, we have an aging population. We have fewer people in the workforce than we've ever had. And those trends aren't going to change anytime soon. Those, those trends are there for the next, you know, until all, all the baby boomers retire, retire. So that's, that's 20 years from now, right? So that's not going to change next year or five years from now. So I, I just think you are forward thinking in that regard too. You know, what can you do to minimize the labor component of your business model? That's just a smart move. Well, unfortunately, I mean, there's, it's not, it's no, uh, it's no surprise, but companies are coming up with solutions to fulfill this problem that I have and every other contractor in the world has. Mm -hmm. uh, so right. companies like Ventrac and uh, Boss uh, purchasing the Snow Raider concept, the, those were born out of all these frustrations that they mm -hmm. hear from their customers. So they're filling a need for us. And it, it behooves us and it's up to us to adopt those things early and often when they're mm -hmm. available. Yeah. I want to ask you kind of what advice you give, um, you know, maybe your children or, or young, young people, maybe in their late teens, early 20s, kind of thinking about their careers and, you know, how to get started in, in would, you, would you steer them toward this industry? Or would you steer them away from the industry? Or, or what advice do you have for people who are kind of in the beginning of their career trying to figure out what to do? Well, I, first of all, I think my advice is probably not super relevant to, to this up and coming generation. And what I mean by that is I'm super impressed by the ingenuity of this up and coming generation. Uh, the fact that 20 somethings can, can make uh, a solid a solid income and can have enough 
just by having a YouTube channel or uh, you know any number of these technologies that are out there. I a lot of people look at these kids as like lazy. I just think they're a lot smarter than I am. So I, I'm not sure that my uh, any advice that I could give would really help them because I think that this generation is pretty dang smart on their own. I um, I, I think I would I definitely would steer them to this industry because there's a lot of fulfillment. Uh, there's a lifetime of learning. This is an industry where you're never going to be done learning. You're never going to have it licked and figured out. Uh, it's going to, there's always something to learn. And I, that's one of the things I love about both the green and the white industry is it's, it's very scientifically based. There's a lot of science and uh, technology that uh, run these principles that we deal with um, the chemical reactions with de-icing products and uh, the effect of ground temperature on the efficacy of those products. The, those are really, really founded and rooted in scientific principles, which is pretty cool. And I think I, that's one of the things I love about this industry is just this constant yearn to learn, so to speak. Yeah. What are the odds that one of your five children will take over the business? Uh, I would say pretty small. Um, I think we'll make an exit before it's really available before they really be ready. Got it. I've tried to involve my kids so they can gain life experience in mm -hmm. what we do. But like my oldest daughter, she's 18. She works for us right now. She does a lot of graphic design, uh, technology type things, social media type things for us. And she has no interest in learning about some of these things that we do every day, but we're, we've done a good job of of applying the things that she is passionate about and that she is good about to our business. Mm -hmm. And so I would always give them opportunities if they wanted to. Uh, but I think if I look at my matrix of kids, uh, I don't see any of them that are super, super passionate about this industry in particular. Yeah. Well, you know, as you know, I grew up in a family business as well, but you're what, what's cool is you're creating those, those skill building opportunities for them. And, and those are all transferable skills. Yeah. Um, learning about just learning about business in general and about customer service and about doing, doing what you said you're going to do. <laughs> like those are basic things. And, um, you know, those are some things that maybe are missing a little bit from our workforce today. Yeah. So those are good life lessons that, that they're having. Um, well, uh, Seth, this has been awesome. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to share with our audience here? No, I think this is, I think it's been fun. And I, I hope that uh, if I could encourage everybody, I would be to be self-employed and to find a way to start your own business and uh, not be under any delusions that it's going to be easier than working for someone else, but that it is fulfilling. And if you want to do it, I, I think people should do it. Our country is born on the backs of small businesses, and I think we need more people that are willing to go through the trials and challenges of owning a small business so that they can build their communities, uh, build their own personal economies, and improve their station in life. And I always believe that I'm the best person to do that for me, and uh, same with other people. They're, they're the best suited to do that in their own life and to control their own outcome, their own destiny. So... I'd just like to see more small business owners out there. Couldn't agree more. Very well said. And especially in the snow industry, there's so much support, you know, for someone in the industry. Like just just think about your experience so far with in the industry. You know, yeah. folks willing to share with you, willing to give you things, help you with things, 
you know, answer questions. Um, and I see it all the time in our industry. Every time there's a snowfall somewhere, you know, contractors are, are offering their service. Hey, can I come out and help? You know, mm -hmm. can I send equipment? It's a cool thing. So but, it's a generous industry. Absolutely. People yeah. are very generous with their time and their experience. And that's, that's a yeah. cool thing about it. It's a good community. Yeah. Well, um, Seth, I just wish you all the best for a great uh, year this year coming out of the pandemic and hope that you guys can just crush all your goals for the year. And again, just thank you so much for taking time to, to share with us. And, and um, I hope to see you at one of our events coming up real soon. You will. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate your time very much. Thank you for listening. We welcome suggestions for future guests or topics. Feel free to email me directly at phil at growthebench.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, become a subscriber today so you won't miss any future episodes. And don't forget to check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. Now go for it.